And there we go. Hey, I tricked myself there. Hey, hello, it's me, John Park, and this is John Park's workshop. Thank you for coming by. In my ever-expanding list of things I'm trying to make my audio work, I, I fooled myself again. Uh, but I think... I think we're on. All right, good. Uh, so thank you all for stopping by. We've got uh, some fun and I think interesting stuff to talk about today here in the workshop. Uh, thank you everyone, by the way, who came by for the Adabox unboxing last week. And I did not have uh, a workshop show last week as I was uh, recovering from that process. <laughs> and uh, didn't, didn't have it in me really. Uh, didn't have a new project either to show. But uh, this week, we're going to be diving into some of the nuances of preparing images for use on e-ink displays. Uh, I am also, uh, let's see, going to show you, I think, uh, one of my favorite make code minutes that I've come up with in a while. Some pretty cool clock syncing stuff that I think you'll dig. Um, and we're going to be diving into some stuff in Photoshop, so I've got a little setup for that that... Uh, should allow you to, to follow along and see what I'm doing. Uh, so let's see, with no further ado, uh, I will jump into it. So first thing to mention, as I like to do, is we've got a job board. Did you know? Uh, go to jobs.adafruit.com and uh, you will see that we have both uh, a, a jobs board for positions that are available as well as a place to put your uh, info if you are looking for work, uh, let's see, where's my, where's that Chrome window? There it is. I'm losing things all over the place here. Sorry about that. There we go. There's the, uh, there's the jobs board. Uh, so you can see there, there's uh, some new positions since our last show. There's a, a PCB electronics assembler in Santa Clara, California, a part-time job. There's a full-time experience design Specialist position open in Westminster, Maryland uh, at Exploration Commons. I don't know what that is, but hey. Uh, and so if you want to go check those out, you can click in and, and dive in deeper. Uh, hey, look, here's someone who's looking for help. Uh, Mauricio Cotini in La Plata, Argentina is looking for help solving Adafruit Neo Trellis project issues. That could be an interesting one if you're looking for, uh, for something to dig into. Uh, hey, did it, there we go. Um, 32 Neotrellis unit boards project. Very interesting. So go check that out. That's at jobs.adafruit.com. Uh, let's see. What else have we got? Um, I would like to dive into a, uh, a little bit about my product pick of the week. So as you may know, uh, I have a show on Tuesdays. That's JP's product pick of the week. And uh, this week it was the LC709203, which is a lithium battery fuel gauge. Uh, there it is right there. It's a cute, cute little device. It's Stemma QT for sending data out to a microcontroller. And it's got a couple JST two-pin plugs for plugging in a battery and then load out so you can drive something, whatever you're already planning to drive. You just put this in the middle and uh, it'll give you the voltage output and the uh, percentage battery. But rather than let me right now tell you, how about me from past Tuesday will show you. I'm going to uh, tell you, I'm going to show you a little quick clip, which is a one minute recap of the show.
This is the LC709203 battery monitor or battery gauge. This is uh, designed for checking the voltage level and percentage of charge left of a LiPo battery. So here is a big solar panel. I have a big battery. I have the solar charging circuit, and then I have our battery monitor, as well as a little OLED display, and there's a little cutie pie in there that is running the display. When I turn it on, you'll see it boots up our little OLED, and now I can tell, okay, I'm putting out 4.1 volts, and I have 85% charge. It's the LC709203 battery gauge. And that is my product pick of the week. So there you have it. That's the little recap of it. And uh, like I said, I'm really happy to have that in that solar panel, solar charger or um, solar charging station project. Cause now I know what the percentage is at, which I didn't know before, I was just guessing. Uh, all right, let's see, what's next? I think uh, this is a good time to jump into the Make Code Minute. So uh, let's see, this one, what's the best way to present this? Uh, let's just go for it, see what happens. Let's see, this is, uh, I've got a bit of a wacky audio setup to do this today, so hopefully I don't make my mind explode because I want to show a bunch of things. Uh, let's start off with, here's make code. Here is an overhead cam with a couple of pocket operators. There's me. Uh, and so let me demonstrate this first. What I wanted to show today in the make code minute is using a Circuit Playground Express to act as the tempo clock for a couple of these little pocket operators, little pocket synthesizers. And what this is gonna do is it's gonna keep everything in sync so I can use two of them at once and they will always remain in sync with each other as well as I can change the tempo and they'll follow that. Um, so let me, and by the way, let me know if the audio goes crazy on this because I'm doing weird audio stuff here. But So let me show you first of all I'm gonna set both of these pocket operators into play mode. And so they're trying to play right now, but they won't because they're waiting for a clock signal. That's just a setting I have on there. Now I've got my Circuit Playground Express. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna turn it on. You're gonna see it start flashing to a beat and the music should start playing. Uh, there we go. So I'm gonna mix this down a little bit. You tell me if you can't hear me anymore, but that should work well. So as you'll see here, if I adjust the tempo on my Circuit Playground Express by pressing the down or A button, both of these stay in sync. And here you can hear, here's just the drums. Here's just the bass. Here's both. And now let's bring the tempo up. And then anything you do, We'll stay in sync with these. And I can jump back to 120 BPM by pressing A and B. So 
So how are we doing this? First of all, I'm gonna go ahead and stop this and we can use the slide switch to stop sending clock altogether. I can take these off now too. Uh, and so what you'll see inside of make code, in order to set this clock, what I'm doing is on start, I'm setting some variables. I have a Boolean switch for running or not running. I set my BPM, beats per minute, to 120 to start with. That's the number we're gonna be changing. This is called parts per quarter note. Essentially, this, uh, these things sync on eighth notes. So I've set two parts per quarter notes. And we're gonna use a little function here that says convert BPM to clock pulse milliseconds, because milliseconds is what we wanna work with inside of make code on the Circuit Playground Express. So this function you can see here, it says convert BPM to clock pulse milliseconds, and then it brings in a BPM and a part per quarter note, and then it just does this little uh, variable, clock pulse, using some math, which is this formula of 60,000 uh, divided by beats per minute times parts per quarter note. So that gives us the milliseconds of one clock tick. Uh, then when I press either the A or B button, I can increase or decrease by five. I decided that was a good value. And then it's gonna call uh, that same function to get that value again. What's happening in the forever loop is if we're running, and the left-right switch is what changes that. If we're running, it's gonna send clock pulse. And that function is right here. What does that do? It sets digital pin A1 high. It pauses for milliseconds. So the clock pulse itself is very, very short and then we set it back down to low, and then we pause for that clock pulse duration, which might be 20 milliseconds or something like that, uh, to give us our beat. In my forever loop, I'm calling that function, I'm setting a couple of uh, both the LED and the NeoPixels to high or on, in purple in this case, and then when I set the, uh, the next one, next iteration, I drop those low, and that essentially gives me a light that's happening on the quarter notes, and you can see that here if I turn this back on. Uh, you'll see that's flashing essentially at the quarter note even though the clock pulse is being sent out on the eighth notes. And so that is how you can create a little sync clock for all your little synthesizers or big ones for that matter using the Circuit Playground Express inside of Make Code. And that is your Make Code Minute. All right, I hope that all worked because that was a whole bunch of audio visual things. And uh, uh, oh, the, the, the music volume was low in the mix I'm hearing from C. Grover over on, um, on Discord. All right, well, I'm sorry about that. I wish I'd seen that sooner and I would have cranked it. Um, but hopefully you got the idea. And you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna clean up a little here because I'm actually gonna show some other stuff in a moment on this overhead camera. So I'm gonna set this little synth uh, rig off to the side. And, oh, hey, Lars, what are you doing there? Huh, weird. Uh, okay, Andy Calloway says Lars is found. He is. How did he get there? All right, uh, let's see. Next up, what I wanted to show is a product pick of the, uh, not a product pick of the week, a game pick of the week. So many picks. Uh, so I'm going to jump to, back to, in fact, uh, this Chrome window. And so what I've gone uh, into here is the forum.makecode.com in the arcade category, arcade channel. Uh, here's an entry. It's Ort Cloud Odyssey. And this is by Spin Echo. 
let's check it out. He says, Starship Captain Lieutenant Yuki is lost on a rescue mission in the outskirts of our solar system. Fight your menacing way through the meteor showers in Oort Cloud Odyssey. All right, let's uh, run it here. So I'll go ahead and hit play. And again, this sometimes doesn't play as smoothly over, over my uh, stream as it does in, in real life. Uh, but you can see here, it is a uh, sort of Galaxian Galaga style gameplay. And I think one of the really nice features on this is uh, these asteroids, as you shoot them, they get smaller, which is a really clever way to uh, add some visual appeal to the game and give you a clue as to how many hits something is going to require. It takes three hits on each of these before they go away. And a little bonus feature is if you hit the B button, it will change the audio sound. So you can turn off audio or set the volume while you're playing, which is very cool because a lot of times make code arcade games are just too loud or too quiet for, for your environment. So you want to adjust that on the go, you can do it right there. I know you probably can't hear that because it's not too loud. Ooh, I just got hit. Uh, so that is the game. If you uh, head into that forum and check it out, check out the link, you can go in, hit edit code, and take a look at how it works. You might want to go and check out these, uh, these little arrays for the different sizes of uh, meteors here. That's one, two, and three different sizes, as well as some other little animation features. So that's my arcade game pick of the week. It's Oort Cloud Odyssey by Spin Echo. Really nicely done. All right. Uh, let's see. Have we done it? Have we gotten to... Okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn on the uh, air conditioning because it's actually hot here yet again in Southern California. So sorry, that'll be a, a little bit of noise in the background, but not too bad for you. I hope. Uh, and so what I wanted to talk about for the main uh, project thing today is I have started to play around with some of these e-ink uh, feather wings that we have. So there's a, there's a few different sizes and styles. So this is a monochrome, uh, I think one point, no, it's 2.13 inch screen. And you can see it's a little PCB that has all of the RAM on there to handle the display, even using a very minimal feather. You can use 32U4 and 328 even, I believe, uh, base chips, but I've got, a, I've got a Feather M4 on here. Uh, the feather plugs right into the board, and then we can control that using either CircuitPython or Arduino. What I wanted to uh, focus on for today is preparing images. So I know that, that one showed text, but you may have seen, uh, I, I showed this on, let me, let me go to my overhead here. I showed this on Show and Tell uh, last night. I'm going to prepare this for you. And I've got some extra, a couple of extra images to show you. So let me focus a camera. Give you that down cam there. Let me grab the focus knob on this thing. <clears throat> okay, and I'll try to get rid of that glare. Okay, so here you can see, this is actually, I think, improved uh, from last night. I've... Uh, done a different, slightly different technique that I'm going to go over for creating the image or rather uh, conforming the image in a way, massaging the image in a way so that it looks good on a three color display. This display has a sort of off-white, a nearly black, black, and this red color. So it's this tri-color display. And um, if you 
look what happens when I plug this into power. So right now, uh, this is got no batteries, no wires on it. There's actually two of them. I have two feather, uh, feather wings plugged together, which will make more sense in a minute. If I plug in uh, USB to this, now my feather is gonna kick in. Uh, so the image on the e-ink display just stays there if it doesn't have power telling it to change. And here you can see it's going through and it's updating the different channels. So it's flipping around uh, the little ink balls, if you wanna think of it that way. And I know Colin has some videos he's been working on putting out on how these work. Um, so you can see there, that's the update. So it went and it, and it flashed the pixels that are gonna be black, all the pixels that are gonna remain white, and all the pixels that are gonna turn red. And so with just three colors, we're able to get some really nice shading techniques in here using uh, patterns and something called dithering. So that was the topic I wanted to go into today is how we can get such a uh, nice looking image with, with lots of detail and shading using only three colors, which uh, is, is how this sort of stippling type of technique, your pointillism type of technique called dithering works. Um, I'll show you another one here. I'll just move the camera down. Uh, here's a set of eyes. You may recognize these. Uh, this is uh, Tim Curry from Rocky Horror Picture Show. I still got Rocky Horror Picture Show on my mind. Um, and let me adjust the focus even a little better. Yeah, it looks pretty good. So again, you get all of this rich shading in here uh, just from three colors, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Um, so let's dive in. What I'm going to do is let's jump over to Photoshop and I want to explain a few things here. So I've got, which one is this? Let's do this one. Okay. This should work pretty well. Uh, if I go over to Photoshop, that'll work. Okay. Um, so yeah, Janisku7, the eyes looks like it's from the unboxing. I tried. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that image is from Ponyo. And let's, let's, um, let's start with that. So this is an image from the Miyazaki film Ponyo. And the Studio Ghibli put out a bunch of wallpapers, really nice high-resolution images from the movie that you could, you could use, stills from the movie that you could use as a wallpaper. So I grabbed this one where they're eating this ham uh, ramen soup deliciousness. Uh, and I want to show the techniques for getting this to do what we need. So f there's, there's essentially two main components of what we care about. One is we have to get the colors remapped. So you can see here, there are thousands of colors. There, there are a number of sort of main colors that you see. If you, if you had to say there's a reddish and a yellow and a light blue and a dark blue, a brownish, green for the couch, yellow for the table. Um, but then there's a lot of variation as those have shading, uh, sort of shadows and, and brightness variations in them, as well as saturation variations in them. For example, where you see that uh, steam cloud coming up, the, the delicious aroma vapors coming off of the soup, it has lightened the, the saturation and, and brightened the uh, pixels that are below it. So we need to map that to just three colors. Uh, if we just map it to three colors, it will um, have, every pixel will have to make a decision, am I closer to the black, the red, or the white that we have in our palette? So let me, let me show you how that works first of all. I'm gonna take uh, the, this is in Photoshop that I'm doing this by the way, and just a note, there's a good guide from 
Phil B on this entire process, and he shows how to do it in Image Magic as well as Photoshop. And I'll also talk about some online tools that you can use for this. But I'm going to use Photoshop because I think, well, I know it the best, and it gives me uh, more opportunity to show you these um, settings being tweaked and these techniques without them happening just under the hood and spitting out an image at the end. We get to see some real-time changes in sliders and things. So right now, this image is in red, green, blue, RGB mode. So if I go to image mode, we can see this is a red, green, blue image, which is typical for bitmap types of raster images. Um, this is a 24-bit image right now. So that means it has eight bits per channel of red, green, and blue. So 256 possible values per color channel. I think I got that right. And uh, what I'm going to do is now send it into indexed color land. So this is where I'm saying I'm going to pick the colors and I'm going to pick three that this can be. So when I do this, uh, first of all, it's going to ask me if I want to flatten it. I'll say OK, and then we'll undo a bit. So I'll say, yeah, go ahead and flatten that. Um, and now the um, options that we have here, typically you'll see something like this show up, where we have a palette, which is a um, limited number of colors that we can use. Here there are 256 colors available, not 256 shades each of red, green, and blue, but 256 total colors. We can do things like prepare this for the web. Now we have 216 colors available. Uh, we need to get this down to three. So if I go to custom, uh, it's going to bring up a color table here. And these are the colors that it's currently using. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to load in uh, just those three colors that I mentioned. So I have those saved. This is something that uh, Phil B put together, which is a little palette. This e-ink three-color.act is a little palette of three colors. And there you can see them. So I have just this off-white red and this reddish black, uh, dark, dark gray reddish. So when I hit OK there, now we're using a, a palette of three colors only. Um, if we simply do what I said before, which is ask each pixel to find its nearest approximation, you can see all of the darker pixels, the shadows there, have gone to that brownish, dark uh, black color. I'll call it black from now on. Uh, and then the medium. Uh, intensity or dark uh, brightness pixels have gone to red, and then the brightest pixels have gone to white, which is um, okay, but we lose a lot of the shading, and some of the uh, details look a little bit crispy. They, they, there isn't much smoothness to edges anymore. Um, and actually, what I'm going to do is, let's see, will I be able to, no, I won't be able to zoom while I'm doing this, just how I have it set up. Um, so what I'll do now is instead go to some dithering choices. So dithering is a method whereby pixels are going to do a bit of averaging uh, with their neighbors to come up with dot patterns, essentially. So if we look at something like noise dithering, you'll see uh, if you back away from the monitor, okay, we can see the image still. We can make out th things better. But it's, uh, it's got a lot of noise to it, like, like, the, uh, like it says on the, on the label there. Uh, if I go to pattern diffusion, we have this sort of geometric pattern that's regular and repeating that you can see there. But it's definitely better. It's, it's recognizable uh, if you look at, and I can't remember uh, Ponyo's friend's there's name. So if someone wants to tell me uh, in, um, in the chat, the boy there has uh, essentially just a 
mostly red, but with a regular pattern of white dots. And then up in his hair, where it's behind the steam, we have sort of a different shape pattern. What I'm gonna do, though, is use diffusion pattern, uh, or rather diffusion dithering, which gives us some controls here for the amount of diffusion. So I can go to amount of 1%, which is essentially the same as not having any dithering at all. Uh, and, oh, we got Okairin in the chat who knows the heck out of Photoshop saying use command plus, command minus to zoom while the dialogue is up. Oh, I did not know that. I've only been using Photoshop since like 1995 and I didn't know that was a trick. I always try like the command shift control mouse button, which works behind some dialogues. Thank you. Uh, uh, okay, you're on. I appreciate it. Uh, so here, here you can see uh, if I go back to, thank you for that technique. If I go, go in, um, you'll see I have a grid turned on where you can see a little white between pixels, but that's, that's only in Photoshop. Um, but you can see here is the non-dithered, and then as I start to dither that in or go back to pattern, you can see what some of those regular patterns look like. Um, so here we go. Uh, I'll, I'll zoom back out. And this is not bad. This gives us some, some choices for things. I, I think I found somewhere around 60% uh, or so it looked good on the display. Um, Sometimes you want to zoom out a little bit because we're going to be looking at it on the display uh, this size. So your perception of the dithering is part of the game here. So uh, looking at that from a, a greater distance away sometimes helps you uh, see where you like the, the patterning. Um, sometimes you get more effects or sort of screen effects that, that will trick you. At, at greater distances, so it's a it's a bit of a art, not a science. But let's let's drop it. Okay, forty percent. I like that. I hit okay. Uh, so now we have this indexed color image that only has three colors in it, and the dithering technique gives us a lot of detail back through this trickery. Um, technical detail before we save that as a BMP file, which is the raster graphic file type we're going to use on an e-ink display in CircuitPython and in Arduino. I think we have the same for both. Uh, we'll switch that back to RGB because uh, we're going to save it as a 24-bit uh, BMP file. It just happens to be what's easy to unpack on the microcontroller. So we don't need to stick with the index, but it is effectively indexed to only have three colors. This doesn't change um, the number of colors that we're using when we switch to RGB mode here. And then we would save it. Um, so. Keep uh, that image in mind, and I think I have one It's pretty similar, a little more heavily dithered there. Um, I'll duplicate this one. So let me go ahead and do uh, duplicate that, and that's fine. Let me move this over here so you can see it. Uh, and this one, i got to find the... The one prior to that. I want to find the other one I had so I can undo. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to undo this back to before we index it. So it's actually only a couple of undos. Um, and what I want to do now is look at a thing called gradient mapping. So part of this is that dithering is not able to do anything magical uh, beyond the 
pixels it's given. So if you ever hear this phrase, garbage in, garbage out, whatever you give it, and it doesn't have to be garbage, but whatever you give it is what it has to work with. Um, and so I found that an important step when doing these types of conversions is to uh, tweak the image or grade the image in a way that works best for the medium. So what I'm going to do this time is I've added, I've added it in advance, but I can show you how to add it uh, in real time here. So in Photoshop, I'm going to add a, uh, a type of technique called a gradient map, and I'm going to use a adjustment layer to do that rather than apply it to the image. So I like to keep layers so that I can, that I can tweak things and look back and forth. So uh, in Photoshop, down in the layers, I'm going to add, uh, you can't see this because the menu popped down below, but by clicking on this little filters uh, adjustment layers icon, I'm going to pick gradient map. And this adds a, um, essentially a type of filter that allows us to remap the pixels using a gradient. And I've prepared a gradient in advance that is a gradient of our three colors. So I'm going to grab that. Uh, I have a little folder of gradients here with just one, fold, one gradient in it called e-ink. So I'm going to pick that. Um, and now you can see that that is pretty close to what the tonality of that image was when we went and dithered it. Uh, not exactly the same, but it's, it's working from some similar sort of brightness values. Uh, but what we can do is we can now start to nudge things around. Uh, these, are, these are essentially color knots or nodes of a gradient that, that runs from our black to red to white. And um, what I can do is move the sort of stops and sliders around so that I can push maybe more brightness into the bright areas. Um, and get blacker in the shadow areas, like the couch back there. I kind of want that, that detail to recede. Um, and, and in some ways, what I'm doing is, is similar to levels or exposure. I'm kind of bumping the contrast on this. Um, but by doing it with the gradient map, I can uh, keep it as an adjustment layer that has the red, white, and black in it, which is a good hint for me, rather than doing this on the full color image. Um, so it's a way to kind of convert it to a three-tone image and goose the, the brightnesses around. Um, and we can hit the, um, we can turn this layer on and off to kind of see the before and after. Um, so now what I'll do is to, to kind of work the, the proper way that I should, before I go indexing thing, because indexing always smashes the layers down, I'm going to uh, duplicate this image. So I'll make a duplicate. Uh, let me name this something I'll remember. So Ponyo gradient mapped. And I'll say duplicate merged layers only. So that's, sorry, that's the dialog box I had up. Uh, so there is what I'm going to start with this time instead of that full color image. Now when I go and repeat this process of going into index, I've got the three color palette that I chose before. It kind of automatically comes up, so that's good. I don't need to change that. Um, and now you can see we have kind of a, uh, a clearer image. Even though I can push my diffusion up to get shading in uh, the shirt and the floor and the couch, the faces are kind of brighter now. They, they pop more because we already um, dealt with that, that sort of relative leveling uh, of, the, of the image before 
getting into this diffusion mapping. Um, you have to have a light hand with that because if there was some shading to the face you wanted to keep, you can see I've blown it away here. Most of the, the, the face is pure white now. Um, but that's stuff that you can tune. And now I uh, will pop back to RGB image and get ready to save it. Uh, let's see if I can if I can bring this over to uh, the one I did before. I think that was the one at 40%. And this is the one that I've image, uh, sorry, gradient mapped first. And you can see I have uh, quite a different look to it and one that is probably gonna look nicer on the display. That's pretty similar uh, to the one that I have right there at the top now. I'll go back to the, um, to the down shooter for a moment so you can see that. Uh, so there you go. That's pretty similar to my uh, Photoshop. Is that a good one to show? Yeah, bounce back and forth with those. Um, and so that's a pretty cool technique. And, and I think while I'm showing you a lot of very specific techniques to Photoshop, the idea here I think to take away is that just looking into taking an image and dithering it is kind of only half of the, the fun and half of the um, tool set that you have when preparing things for a particular medium. And so when things are going to print or when things are going to uh, get put on silkscreen on fabric or when things are going to a monitor or going to LED displays, you know, Phil B is always talking about uh, gamma correcting your images so that they don't look washed out when they hit things like a matrix display. So this is another variation on that. Is there some uh, grading that we want to do to the image before we go and ask the dithering algorithm to do its thing because, uh, because it's, it's not magic, like I said. Um, so let's see. Other things I wanted to talk about. Let me jump back into my Photoshop session here. Is that the one I think it is? That's the one I want. Okay. Um, the... Other thing I want to mention is that, unfortunately, Photoshop puts a few tools that are related in different places. And so if you're not careful, you may think that that's kind of the only way to dither stuff. stuff. Um, but I'll show you some other techniques. So here, here is, uh, just because I've been obsessed with uh, Frankenfurter here, uh, here's an image I had on my desktop I grabbed. Um, you'll see, again, this is the image I started with. That was kind of a pull, a screen grab from the movie. And uh, it can be helped along. We can gamma this. Uh, so here I've done some gamma correction and, and pumped the exposure up so that I have more contrast to work with, sort of more definite levels so things don't just become muddy. Um, and then when I go and I think I then gradient mapped this one here. Okay, so again, in this gradient mapping, if I, if I pick this... Um, same sort of thing I was doing before, I can kind of push around where these knots live so that I can tune the type of image. And so uh, you saw I had the, just the eyes on the, on the display, so I ended up cropping in. Uh, Todd asks, is that a picture of John or Tim Curry? That is Tim Curry. Come on. Look at him. Magnificent creature he is. Uh, so these are some adjustments that I would make first uh, to get this one ready. But at this point, Something I thought that was uh, interesting, as I mentioned, there are other places to deal with your images. If you, um, I'm gonna go ahead and duplicate this now. Let me, let me take this and duplicate it. And now in um, 
an RGB mode image, which is what I'm in now, there's a filter I can use. Uh, this is one of two ways I want to show. There's a filter I can use uh, under Pixelate that creates a color halftone. And so a color halftone is similar to what you see when you look close up at a comic book or a, a comic strip in the newspaper. It's the cyan, magenta, yellow, and black dots of ink that are arranged in patterns so they don't fully overlap each other uh, up close, but when you get further away, it gives you, again, more uh, perceived gradients in the image, and it's also a cool look. So if I hit OK on this, you can see now we have uh, a more sort of impressionistic version of this where we've kind of done the dithering in advance. If I zoom in on this, um, now, right now, these are cyan, magenta, uh, yellow. Actually, I guess we get green in there. This is like an overlapping light color in here, not ink color because I'm in RGB mode. Um, now I can take this and just index it. I don't need to do any dithering to it. I'm going to zoom back out. Um, and I'll just switch my mode to indexed. And this is going to pop that into... Uh, my three color or four color, uh, three color in this case, um, palette. And now we have a very different look that again is probably gonna look really cool on my display, but very different from uh, just that uh, Floyd Steinberg diffusion that, that uh, Photoshop uses. Um, and then one other technique I wanted to show, let me go ahead and undo that process, um, is, let's see. Let's, um, I'll show you the, the simple version, which is if we try to convert this to a one-bit image, again, Photoshop has some different algorithms available for how we create just black and white that have a sense of pattern to them. Um, so I'm going to go to image mode and dump it down to grayscale. This is the intermediate step we have to do. And again, you'll see this looks, uh, the, the fact that I kind of, uh, leveled this first and adjusted that exposure and gamma helps it still preserve the detail when we go to grayscale without the color. Uh, and now I'm going to go to a bitmap, which is a one bit. So it's going to again ask me if I want to flatten that layer. Uh, it's going to ask what resolution we're going to. And look, it has a, a couple of different options than what we saw just in the index dithering. So one is a 50% threshold, which unfortunately it won't preview these. So we just got to say OK. And so there we've just gotten two colors, period, black and white. Go ahead and undo that. And now if we go and um, go back to switch from grayscale to bitmap, and this time I'm going to pick a um, custom pattern. Now we can go and choose from patterns that exist already. And I forgot to make some here, so let me make one real quick. Here's what I'm going to do. Let's say I just want sort of horizontal lines. Um, I'm going to make a new image here real quick that's just uh, one pixel wide and two pixels high. And I'll have to zoom way up on it. And I'm going to go to my pencil tool here, and I'll just put a black dot over a white dot. So that's my pattern that I'm going to run through that image. Um, and I'll select that and go to Edit, uh, Define Pattern. And again, you can name these. I'll call it E-Ink Horizontal. And now if we go back to this Frank Face here, when we switch from grayscale to bitmap, 
I'm gonna choose that little pattern in the custom patterns. Now I can go down and, and pick this one and hit okay. And you can see now we get uh, sort of a third choice. So we have stuff that's all black, we have stuff that's all white, and then in the gray areas we have this, um, I don't know how well you can see it, but it's just these horizontal lines. Um, if we undo that and go back over to make a new uh, pattern again, this kind of time I'm gonna make it a two by two image. I can make a little uh, diagonal line. I'm gonna define this pattern. Oh, I have to select it first. Select all, edit, define pattern, and we'll call this e-ink. Is this gonna be a diagonal or just a checker? I think it's just gonna be a checker. We'll see. I confuse myself sometimes. Uh, so now when we go image mode, bitmap, flatten okay, custom pattern. Uh, yeah, we got a checkerboard there. I guess I need to make like a six by six to do a diagonal. Uh, let's do that though, why not? Well, I've got you here. So we'll do uh, one more image, we'll do six by six. And there we go, that should give us diagonal lines, I hope. Uh, select all, define pattern, back to Frank's face, oh, e-ink diagonal two, we'll call it. Because this one's actually diagonal. Uh, and back to Frank's face, undo, image, mode, bitmap, yes, pattern, there we go. And now we get that nice diagonal line. And you can see, you can have a lot of fun with changing those patterns around. Um, and in this case, again, that pre-grading that we do of editing the image um, before we um, make this pattern happen gives us um, very different results. So uh, one other thing you can do with something like this is if we um, switch back to grayscale mode for a moment, I'll go ahead and, let's see, oh, I'll go ahead and pick uh, just some sections. In fact, let's just pick this one eye. Uh, and now we can um, adjust that by filling it with a pattern. It doesn't even have to be when we're going to grayscale or uh, uh, yeah, to bitmap mode. That just takes care of the whole image. But if I have a single pattern I wanna fill in just one section now, um, that's nice and easy. So if we go back to uh, this image here, and, oh, what have I done? I hope I don't crash something. I think I'm crashing something. Oh, that's back. No, that's not. Okay, I think Photoshop has had enough of my reindeer games and has decided to crash. So uh, that'll be enough of, of the demo there. But uh, hopefully that is uh, instructive and useful to you. This is, uh, uh, again, a couple of images that I made. And uh, on this lower one, what I've got is I've programmed this one in CircuitPython so that it'll flip between a couple of images. Um, so I'm going to fire that up. You'll see it's going to go through its little uh, dance there. 
to provide us with the eyes. And then after a little bit, I've actually got it in sort of developer mode where I can refresh it more frequently than you're supposed to. You should only refresh these every 180 seconds or you can injure your display. Uh, but after, I think, 30 seconds is what I have it set for right now, you're going to see a completely different uh, dither with, that was similar to what I did and what I was about to do, which is hand tuning. So you can see there i got some of the diagonal lines in there on the black. Uh, I have a different pattern that will come in on the white. And then the red is in the shade there. Um, so very different look, uh, all from the same original source image, but by grading these uh, differently, we get uh, some, some really nice looking um, results. So let's see, um, I can, yeah, I was gonna try to pho Photoshop again. It's not having it. So I think that'll, that'll cover it for today. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, look, I can put these eyes over my eyes. There we go. See, I can't stop trying to pretend I'm Tim Curry here today, uh, or ever. All right, uh, so that is some fun with e-ink displays. Uh, check out the guide that Phil B wrote. It has all of the info you need to know to get started using Image Magic, which is a command line based tool, totally free, uh, that will get you started. Also, um, hat tip to our good friend Todd Kurt, who showed me this website. Uh, here called Ditherit. And uh, Ditherit has a bunch of dithering algorithms built into it. You just select an image and uh, go through and make choices about which dithering algorithm you want, and then you can save the file off. It has a bunch of real uh, nice stuff in there, including Bill Atkinson's dithering method, which is beautiful and for some reason not in Photoshop, um, even though it was kind of one of the first. Um, so I hope that I have said dither so many times that the word now has ceased to have meaning for you. Um, it has for me. And uh, that's going to do it for today. So uh, thank you all so much for, for uh, letting me uh, geek out and Photoshop for you today. And uh, that is going to do it for John Park's workshop. I will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.